always uh, enjoy part of the story of the gospel as we go through the lectionary, uh, and perhaps you understand the lectionary, we go through the text in three years. Uh, we're at the text where Matthew has recorded Jesus having performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000, and now he's gone off to pray, and he sent the boat uh, ahead of them. Uh, and then he comes walking on the water. I always I enjoy this text. I'm reminded of a marquee that described uh, sermon titles uh, in a church in, in uh, England. And they had two services, one in the morning uh, early and one in the evening. And so both sermon titles were on the marquee. And the early morning service was uh, Jesus walks on the water. And the evening service was looking for Jesus. I was uh, mindful of the pastor last week talking about his experience with fishing. Uh, the disciples, many of the disciples were, were fishermen, as you well know, and much of the miracles that took place surrounded Capernaum and the, the lakeside villages. And I, uh, I was thinking, he said, and I, I was listening to his sermon, I hope you were too, that uh, he thought fishing was boring. And, uh, and in many cases, it is. But I was uh, thinking about him as he talked about that story. I've, have you ever been out on the Pacific Ocean um, where I, I fished for salmon while I was in Arcata quite a little bit? Have you ever been out on the ocean a couple miles off of Trinidad Head and you're in a 19-foot boat? And that's not a large boat to be out on the Pacific. And, and you, you, you slip into one of those troughs. Uh, there are the the high parts of the wave and then there are the troughs that uh, you, go, you slip into. And you see the water when you're in the trough on, on both sides of your little boat. You have a great sense of excitement sometimes uh, when you realize the power and, and uh, the abundance of water uh, that is above you, literally, uh, and your boat in which you uh, find yourself. So there can be quite a lot of excitement for fishermen sometimes. Uh, in the midst of wind and storm. And the kind of interesting thing about the text today is when Jesus walks on the water to the boat, uh, it, we're told that there is a wind that has arisen, and you would think it's maybe the storms that the, the fishermen were concerned about. But when we come to the text, uh, you can sense that the disciples are amazed and alarmed and fearful over Jesus himself. Uh, walking on the water. Uh, depending on the text, they, they're still saying, it's a ghost. I don't know who this is that can uh, perform this miracle, uh, walking on the water. So they're afraid of what they're seeing in Jesus more than the storm uh, of life itself. And uh, Jesus says, don't, don't be afraid. It is uh, ego and me. Uh, important words, uh, the same kind of message, I am uh, with you. That, that it comes out of the context of Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, excuse me, on Horeb, when he uh, hears God speaking through the burning bush. I am with you, ego ame. I am in the boat with you. Don't be afraid. Uh, so often, when the storms of, of our lives come our way, uh, we, we distance ourselves from the promise of God to be with us in the boat and the promise to bring us uh, to safe harbor. But we, we sense here then that Peter, uh, the impetuous one always, who sees Jesus walking on the water, wants to walk on the water himself. And so he gets out of the boat 
And he's doing okay until he gets distracted and he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink. And then he says these words that are so powerful, Lord, save me. And of course, Jesus does. And it, now, now there's a, an interesting twist here. There's, Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. We hear that so often. But if he's being rather, there, there's two ways of looking at that. Be you of little faith. It can be a lecture, a kind of stern message or something wrong with you. Or it can be relatively playful, if you think about it. Oh, you of little faith. We, uh, we don't think of Jesus necessarily being playful. But I suspect he had a sense of humor uh, that was uh, significant. Uh, and the way the disciples had to face each day with so many kinds of confrontations that they did. What if it was more playful uh, than serious in terms of how we look at our lives? One of my favorite theologians is a guy by the name of Garrison Keeler. He, he writes about uh, a little village not too far from where I lived in St. Paul. Uh, Lake Wobegon is the name of that community. And he was talking about, in one of his serious comments, uh, about a, a gathering of Lutheran pastors, and most of Lake Wobegon was made up of Lutherans, evidently. And they were out uh, having a gathering and discussing baptism. Of course, the waters of, anytime water is brought up in the, in the scriptures, it, there's a hint of baptism here. Uh, and I hope you'd see that. And they were discussing water and the, the, uh, the issues of, of water and, and dying to self. But they were also enjoying themselves. So they were out on a boat. And there were about 20 of them, and they were having a barbecue. And uh, they were enjoying uh, their time. But they also began to notice there was a leak back where the barbecue was at the back of the boat. And uh, they began to be concerned about the leak, but they continued their discussion about baptism. And the leak got worse and worse. And they realized that they actually were going to sink in Lake Obagon. Um, but Garrison Keeler mentioned there's not too much to worry about because Lake Wobegon at its deepest point is only three feet, so there's <laughs> not a lot to worry about. But in the, the newspaper in the local community the next morning, uh, the comment came out that uh, here was a gathering of Lutheran pastors who were taking their first steps towards total immersion. <laughs> the, the waters that threaten us. You know, Karl Barth would say in the, in the first interpretation of the, of the creation, water is seen as an, almost an enemy of God's creative spirit. And, and we're looking at the first uh, part of Genesis. That water represents a barrier, uh, a threat against God's intentionality for our lives. And so to discuss baptism and the waters of our baptisms and the fear of our future uh, is certainly a part of the, of the scriptures as we see behind uh, the, the literal experience of water in this case, uh, the intentionality of God for our lives and especially uh, through baptism. Well, today's text is about a fear more than anything else. You think about God's response to us in our lives to, to not be afraid of that which is coming at us, but to understand that God is, is behind our our times of anxiety or, or fear of the future, uh, promising good things yet to come. I was uh, mindful of picking up a kaleidoscope. Do you, do you remember those little tubes? Um, some of you do. Uh, you picked up the tube and you held it towards a light and you could see these simple rocks. 
What is it? Yeah, kaleidoscope, what did I call it? Oh, well, it was a kaleidoscope. Anyway, pick up that little tube and you hold it to the light and common rocks, just rocks and mirrors, but when twisted the right way, you see a design. And you know that there's a design behind the creation that comes to us from the creator. And one of the important messages is be not afraid of that which is yet to come. Again and again and again. Uh, we hear in times of uncertainty and change in our lives, don't be afraid. Be a person of faith. That God is something good uh, coming your way. I was uh, mindful yesterday at the wedding. There was a wedding here for some of you who didn't uh, come. But there is a moment after uh, Patty and, and Doug, in this case, were announced as, as husband and wife. And it's one of the kind of rare moments we have in life. When these two, and I, it was Doug's birthday, by the way, the groom's birthday, he was 70 years of age. It's, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's a secret or not, but <laughs> no longer. Anyway, to be to beginning again at 70 years of age is really a statement of faith, you know, to go ahead after um, experiences of the past and say, I want to try again. And, but there was a moment when they were announced husband and wife when they had the biggest grin, smile on their face. You know, that, that life is not uh, filled with many of those moments where the joy breaks into uh, a moment of time that we share together. You know, that God's intentionality is to overcome our fears and step out in faith and believe that joy can be ours as we begin again. Be not afraid. Uh, I go before you always. Uh, grace is a lot like that. I uh, enjoy Annie Dillard, who's a naturalist, and some images that come out like a moment that just breaks into our time and, and joy encounters us, that God is coming at us with this message of grace and freedom and hope. And she talked about a, a mockingbird. You know, mockingbirds always perch at the very, very top of the, of the highest tree uh, in, in the community. And she, she talked about watching uh, this bird. It looked like it was going to drop from the very top of the tree to crash into the ground below. And I've not forgotten if I've shared this before. I apologize. The, the image she saw of God's hand behind how the mockingbird, instead of crashing into the ground, which it looked like it surely would, instead unfurled its wings at the last moment and safely landed. That we have within the creation the sense of God's grace of giving us hope for the future, uh, for whatever uncertainty we face. And our country is facing uncertainty uh, more and more, and the world seems more and more shaky today. But God's hand is behind us. If we think about it, if we see his design, we hear his promise, be not afraid, is our challenge. I was uh, thinking about Jesus going to pray after he had fed the 5,000, and he'd sent uh, the disciples out and before him. And prayer always preceded a miracle, so if you think about it, especially in Matthew's gospel, uh, prayer always precedes miracles. It made you think about What's your prayer life really like? Do, how do we invest in our relationship with God? Um, and that, that same little 19-foot boat, and I, I know I've shared this before, uh, there is a little more excitement uh, in some fishing experiences. And maybe they don't compete with wrestling, but uh, they, 
experience of being out in the ocean a couple miles out in a small boat and sensing uh, the wind come up and the fog uh, comes up just as quickly sometimes, there is more than a little excitement about that. And this happened at one time, and uh, Don, the captain of the 19-foot boat that we fished in most of the time, uh, got a little confused in the fog. And we had, the compass was set uh, to return us to uh, the shore. And after a bit, you can get disoriented uh, when you're out in the distance and the fog is around you and you can't see the shoreline. You listen for the breakers and we didn't hear them. And then the, the scary point of Don hitting the compass and saying, I think we're going the wrong direction. You know, we were not going to, I said, no, Don, we're going to trust the compass and we're going to go towards the shore, which we eventually did, obviously. But in the midst of fog and uncertainty, our prayer life uh, reorients us towards where God wants us to be and to go. Be not afraid. I go before you always. Ego on me, I'm with you. I'm with you in the boat. Be not afraid. The, the text, it's so easy when we're facing uncertainty or fear or disappointment, our loved ones are facing surgery or we can't find a job or uh, we're wondering about a relationship we might have uh, or going through a breakup of a relationship we've had for a long time. Uh, what does the, the future hold? Where is God's direction for me? The, the Bible is filled with these stories of change and uncertainty and, and discouragement. And Elijah is certainly facing one of these. And not only is the boat a symbol of our life, the cave is also a symbol of our life. And if you, you look at all these wonderful stories, they, of course it's, it's wonderful to think of what Elijah had just done moments earlier, well, pages earlier in the, in the text, where he, remember that he's the one prophet left in Israel. Uh, Israel's made all these political alliances and they got distanced from God and they put all their trust in, in their kings and the kings made all these alliances. Finally, Israel was going down the tubes, essentially. And Elisha was representing God and he, he, he had done so well against what, the 350 prophets of Baal. Remember the story how they were trying to set an offering on fire and, and uh, the, the prophets of Baal couldn't do it. But Elijah said, pour water all over that, uh, that potential offering. And he prayed once, and God sent down the fire and consumed, uh, consumed the offering. Well, now the text has gotten a little bit further along, and Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, who has all these priests of Baal anyhow, has sent out the word to kill Elijah, the last of the prophets. And Elijah just frankly had it. You know, he's afraid. He, he is the last prophet in Israel. And so he retreats into the cave. And it's so easy for us to do as, as Christians and to retreat into being quiet when we know things are wrong. But he retreats into the cave and he wants to hide. He's licking his wounds. I am the last in Israel. I've been faithful to you. And now the, the word has come out for me to be killed. And so he's in the cave hiding out from that danger which would undo him. But he's called by God not to give up. God will be passing by, the text reads. God will call you out of your caves of insecurities to go out and still be a witness to his purposes in this world that we face. 
whether it's challenging corrupt forces of racism and injustice, or whether it's bringing good news through organ music in a state theater. We're called to make a difference, to let light comes to darkness, and to be a witness uh, to the storms of life that really shouldn't, shouldn't cause us to be afraid. God is in control of our world. And so Elijah comes to the mouth of the cave, and he's waiting for these dramatic ways that God is going to perform miracles. And it's not in the earthquake. It's not in the, the fire. It's not in the wind and the power of God. But it's in the still, small voice, the inner voice of calm that calls him out of the depths of the cave to go back to the front lines again and continue to witness for his God. We're, we're living in difficult times. We're living in times of, of great challenge. But the message that we hear from our Lord, whether it's at Christmas time and in the angel's message, uh, fear not, behold, I bring you a message of what? Great joy. Uh, God is in the midst of us. He's about uh, to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, certainly, when we're in the desert times, the promise comes to us, I go before you always. Come, follow me, and I'll give you rest. All those who are weary and heavy laden, Take my yoke upon you. Fear not. Be not afraid. And then when it's all seemed lost, Good Friday has occurred. There are a lot of people facing Good Fridays. We hear the message of Easter Sunday. Remember the angels who greeted those who came to the empty tomb. Fear not. He is not here. He is risen as he promised. Be not afraid. Let's pray together. Loving God, though the times may seem very uncertain and our challenges seem severe, we trust that you are the same God who calls us out of the caves of our insecurities to trust that you are still in charge of the creation. The waters will not overwhelm us, and the powers of evil and restlessness will not overcome us. Help us, Lord, to hear your words. Be not afraid. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.